Wednesday on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan Night One of Round Two kicked off with two underdog victories. Seattle Kraken, they're the real deal last night. OT win, four goals for Joe Pavelski. Doesn't matter. Still find a way. Florida Panthers obviously defeating your Maple Leafs on home ice here. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a. We know that the the bracket is wide open, but a bit of a surprising start nonetheless. Haley Salvin joins us, national hockey writer at The Athletic and host of Hockey Central and Sports at 960. The fan, our friends in Calgary. How's it going this morning, Haley? Thanks for getting up. Yeah, no problem. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Um, let's start with that Leafs-Panthers game. Um, any surprise on the way that both teams came out, whether it's the Panthers with that extra juice or the Maple Leafs maybe with a little bit of, not complacency, but lack of urgency? Um, yeah, I don't think we should be surprised at all by what the Florida Panthers are doing. I feel like, you know, before that series started, um, you know, we were doing some playoff previews at the athletic and I was like, you know, don't take this, this team lightly. I think, you know, Bruins fans or maybe the Bruins themselves did that at their own peril in the first round. And, you know, that's a team that plays with a lot of pace. They, they're really hard on the forecheck. Um, Paul Maurice is, you know, his fingerprints are all over that team. I mean, last year they were, you know, a quick, high-flying offensive team under Andrew Burnett, and, you know, they kind of flamed out in the playoffs, and now they're playing a style that's more suited for this time of year. So I don't think anyone should be surprised by what the Florida Panthers are doing right now. I mean, Matthew Kachuk is just a man possessed. He's going to be a real problem, um, and that shouldn't be a surprise either. Um, I thought he was he put together legitimate heart trophy candidate kind of season, especially at the the second half of the year. I mean, if there wasn't a guy named Connor McDavid doing what he did last year, I think Matthew Kachuk would get a lot of first place votes. Um, as for the Leafs, I don't know how to feel about last night. I did the report cards at the athletic. I'm sure you guys have talked about it a lot. Like it was weird. And I don't know if it was because I had the experience of watching game one against Tampa Mm -hmm. and them losing seven to two. And I was like, I mean, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) They didn't like play bad per se. I just think they kind of, you said they lacked urgency and it kind of felt like I was watching like a Tuesday night game in February or something. Um, I thought it was a fun game. There's 83 hits. Like, there's some fun goals. Matthew Nice was great. Um, there was a lot of pace in the game. So I did really enjoy the game. But I also, I don't know, it just had a different feel than the first round. And, and you know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. The Leafs are coming off of, you know, a big emotional win of their own. They had a couple of days to rest while they waited to see who they played. Um and, you know, maybe they were expecting the Boston Bruins. I, I don't know. It was, a, it was a weird game one, but I don't exactly feel, like, bad about it. They no. lost to a really good Panthers team, and they just need to be better in game two. Yeah, to me, the Maple Leafs have just allowed their two opponents in the playoffs so far dictate terms in game one for whatever reason. And I, I, I don't know why Boston sort of fell into the Panthers trap. Maybe I'm not giving the Panthers too much credit, but it felt like the Leafs just fell into the Panthers trap where the Panthers got the exact game they wanted to play. So I guess the question is, like, why can't the Leafs seem to assert themselves earlier on in the series? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know. Can can you call it inexperience in the second round of the playoffs specifically? I mean, that was the first 
second round playoff game for this organization since 2004. Um, why can't they assert themselves more? You know, you could maybe look at it as a coaching thing, a personnel thing, a mental thing. I think that's probably a hard one to to answer from the outside. I but I do think that the prop, the biggest issue in that game last night was the fact that the Florida Panthers were able to kind of set the terms of how that game was going to go. Right, that game was played a lot along the walls. Um, the Leafs had a really hard time breaking the puck out. That was an issue against Tampa as well, um, but particularly against Florida last night. Like, you know, certain lines just got completely hemmed in. Um, you know, again, the Matthew Kachuk line was a real issue. And I keep, you know, I kind of keep talking about Kachuk individually, but his line specifically was was very good. I mean, playoff Sam Bennett is a real thing, and, and Nick Cousins is slotted in there really well. Um, and I thought the Panthers did a really easy job getting to the net front as well. So I feel like it's just execution things, right? Like when we think about the way that certain guys on the on the blue line were playing, you know, in game six against Tampa Bay, like they're they're pushing guys out of the crease, like they're they're boxing out, they're playing well at the net front, they're pushing guys to the perimeter, they're limiting high danger chances. Um, and so maybe it was just that execution that was off last night because they couldn't get the puck out of their zone. Um, they didn't really have great sustained offensive zone time. I mean, there was there were bursts of it, um, particularly I think in the second period. Um, they had momentum swings. The Leafs had the puck in the ozone at times, but I felt for the most part it was it was Florida with a sustained pressure. It was Florida who was, you know, extinguishing things on Toronto's breakout. They were winning puck battles. They were just so aggressive on the forecheck. I actually watched the game on ESPN last night, and PK Subban just kept saying, like, Leafs D, like, pack a lunch. You've got to go to work. This is going to be a grind. And I think we saw that, and I think, you know, uh, they obviously let Florida set the terms, and, and I think it was just some execution things that that were off. So you obviously got some up close time covering Matthew Kachuk when you were in Calgary, and now we seeing him in this series for the Florida Panthers. Now I wonder what makes him so special. Obviously, this breakthrough. I feel like a lot of people have said, "Oh, it's just a different fit." He's like a, a man possessed, as you just put it um, in your answer. But what is it about Matthew Kachuk that makes him just so dynamite and so difficult to play against? It's because he's able to, like, impose hit. Like, we talk about how the Panthers were able to set the terms. Like, I feel like Matthew Kachuk, as a person, is able to just do that. He threw a game-high nine hits last night. Mm -hmm. He had three points. Two of them were primary. Um, You know, Matthew Kachuk, I, I think this gets overused sometimes, but he really is a unicorn in the sense that he's, he's that skilled, gritty, kind of ratty power forward, right? Like he has all these elements to his game. Like he has this toolkit that is just designed to irritate you and be tough to coach against, tough to play against. And I think what Kachuk does so well, uh, and I'm working on a story right now, so I try not to spoil everything that's coming out about it. Um, but what he does so well is that he can – Get into the heart of a battle. He can stir up the emotion. He can stir up the drama, and which gets his opponents off their game. It gets them to focus on, I've got to get 
I've got to hit Kachuk off the tracks or I've got to get in this guy's head or I've got to do something to contain him. Um, but Kachuk doesn't waver from his style of game. And, I mean, there have been games and moments in his career where he has um, a couple of years ago in Calgary. I think he kind of kept he, – he didn't walk that line as well. And, and there were issues with Mark Giordano actually saying, like, you know, it can't be – can't be this every single night you got to figure it out but I think what Kachuk does now really well is he throws other people off his game with the antics with the extra stuff and then he just kind of keeps going about his business with his opponents kind of way off track um, so he's really good at you know stirring up the emotions he's really good at dragging his team into battle he's an emotional leader um, but he's also a leader in the way that he plays, as I mentioned. I mean, when when he got traded to Calgary, I think a lot of people looked at the sheer amount of things the Flames got in that deal. And I, I said at the time, like, I think the Flames win this deal because of how much they received and how difficult of a position Brad Tree Living was put in with Matthew Kachuk wanting uh, to leave Calgary, not wanting to sign a long-term extension. But, like, make no mistake, the Florida Panthers did and always will have gotten the best player, like the best individual piece in that trade. Um, you don't replace Matthew Kachuk easily. Um, and a lot of people said, well, he's not going to do that again. He's not going to have another 100-point season without Johnny Gaudreau on his wing. Like, good luck. And Matthew Kachuk went out and he scored 109 points, got another career high in Florida. Um, you know, he's just, as I mentioned, he's just got that toolkit. He's got the shot. He can stick handle. Um, you know, people always kind of look back to him in junior and say, well, he's not the best skater. That's never mattered. That's never been an issue. I don't know if I've ever watched Matthew Kachuk this season and said, oh, well, if he was a better skater, he would have scored that. And he had 40 goals. <laughs> this is like a weird, you know, scouting analysis thing that people bring up with Kachuk sometimes. But yeah, he can shoot the puck. He can, he can stick handle around people. He's physical. And again, he's that, he's that emotional He's an emotional leader, and I think that's something that Brady Kachuk does, and it's something that Keith Kachuk used to do. So there's definitely something genetic going on there for sure. Uh, we're chatting with Haley Salvi, national hockey writer at The Athletic and host of Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960. The fan in Calgary. Uh, if we're doing the since Calgary's, uh, Matthew Kachuk maybe has taken his game to the next level, but there has been a step back for sure for Mark Giordano. Uh, understanding what you know about Mark Giordano and his game and what you saw last night and then the postseason here, how big is that step back? Yeah, you know what? I I think he just looks a step slow at times. I think you probably saw that coming in round one as well. I think in particular there was the moment with Sam Reinhart just kind of went went around him pretty easily. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I kind of wrote in the report cards. Like, I hate to say it, but he did look, he did look a step slow last night. He's and be forty this year. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like it's fine. I don't care. <laughs> good, it's for, just, good for you. I know, I know. It's just it's sometimes it's like, oh my god, like, <laughs> yeah, he probably looks slow, eh? <laughs> oh yeah, just a little bit. And but I think the way that. Um, he's been deployed, has probably minimized any damage that might come from him, you know, being a step off. I mean, the, the example with Sam Reinhardt, I mean, he went around, he went around Geo pretty easily and, and Samsonov made the stop. I, I always do think, though, it, it's easier to kind of clip and highlight uh, any mistakes 
or those moments where, where Gio does look a bit off. But when he is playing well, like he is very quietly effective. Like he wasn't terrible last night. I think last night was is a difficult one to isolate what might be going on with Mark Giordano when a lot of the guys in the blue line didn't have great nights. I wasn't a big fan of Jake McCabe's night. I wasn't a big fan. Like TJ Brody graded out pretty well on like game score and certain metrics, but he had the the big mistake where he jumped up to pinch and let Carter Verhage go go by. I mean, there's other things that happened on that play. McCabe was deep into the zone. Ryan O'Reilly didn't get back, but like TJ Brody was the guy who was holding the line with his D partner down in a pinch and and he tried to jump and play the puck versus stick with Verhage and, and that ends up being the game winner so uh, you know what I do think that Giordano is starting to look a bit his age but I also thought that a lot of the blue line had issues last night so um, there were a couple moments where, where I noticed that he looked a bit slow as I mentioned but there were also like a ton of mistakes and you know, lack of effectiveness with keeping guys from Florida like out of the net front, pushing them away to the perimeter. So I don't know if this was like a yikes, Gio was mm. was really bad, gotta do something there game. It was like oof, gotta gotta make sure that the blue line's better in game two. Well, at the top of your report cards was the young kid, Matthew Nyes, gets his first NHL goal. He gets his uh, his big moment on home ice. The crowd applause it was uh, was pretty great to see. Obviously, it's, it's a special moment he'll remember forever. But he's not only that, but he's the top of your, your grades um, on your article in The Athletic. What else goes into that other than scoring a big goal and being a guy that brings a little bit of energy to that roster? <laughs> what goes into me giving the grades is that it's I'm trying to file within an hour and I'm like, this feels right. No, it's it's good though. I go off vibes, mm-hmm. vibes alone. I filed that one last night and I was like, I'm about to get ripped for no, giving it's... William Nylander a B. Oh. Everybody hated him last night. And I was like, I didn't. Uh, but, but that's fine. We can, we don't we don't need to talk about Nylander. Yeah. Um, Matthew and I is uh, you know he just uh, he was grading out well for me before he even scored. I thought he had some really good plays in the D zone last night. I felt like it doesn't really matter where he's been slotted into the lineup. He's just looked confident. He's very poised with the puck. Honestly, when he scored. I knew it was his first goal in the playoffs, but I was like, oh, like it just didn't really register with me right away that that was the first time that he'd scored, given how well he'd been playing and how effective he'd been and how everyone has been talking about, wow, Matthew Nyes looks like he belongs here, like this kid's not coming out of the lineup, like you know, he had the one kind of between the legs attempt. Like he plays with a bit of swagger. Um, again, he's he's really calm and collected with the puck. He doesn't seem like he understands the moment. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Like, is this like just pure adrenaline? Like it hasn't hit him yet that like, hey, kid, you're not supposed to be this good uh, at this age in this moment. But I don't know if it's that he doesn't understand it. It's just that he doesn't care. Like he's just, you know, everyone kind of went into him coming out of college and saying like, got to temper expectations. Let's not too, let's not put too much pressure on a young guy. And, and he's come in and probably exceeded most of people's expectations. Um, you know, he's, he's looked, he's looked excellent. As I mentioned, just doesn't look out of place at all. Uh, lots to talk about on Calgary radio this week with Daryl Sutter being 
uh, fired, let go of his position as head coach before his extension kicked in. Haley, how did he go from the Jack Adams winner to a uh, full-on mutiny among the players there? Uh, well, you know, I think if you listen to some of Don Maloney's um, press conference after Daryl was, was fired, you know, the big one that's the big quote that stood out for me is, you know, with this kind of coach, it has a shelf life. Uh, and for the president of hockey operations and interim GM to, to say that, I think it's pretty clear what went wrong there. I mean, this is something we've known about Daryl Sutter and his coaching style before. Um, you know, he is kind of the brutally honest, um, hard-nosed, old-school coach. And we've seen that be really successful in the past. I mean, the Flames were very good last year. He won the Jack Adams Um you know, he won two cups in L.A., but we've also seen that go stale really quickly. Like, he got locked out of the room in, in L.A. You know, they put garbage cans in front of the door. That was the story with the Kings before he ended up getting let go by that organization. And then, obviously, here um, we hear the reports of, of exit meetings, you know, being really long and, and players kind of, you know, reportedly saying from, from Frank or from Elliot, like, if he's he's back, I'm out of here. Like, I've got one year left, or I'm the UFA, like, I'm out. And I think, you know, what became clear to me is that there were kind of these three factions of players as the ones that, you know, did not want to play for Daryl Sutter, um, the ones who did not really care either way, um, or the ones that did kind of, like, thrive in his environment um, and like and favor his his playing style. So I think, you know, not to say that there were like issues in the locker room, that's not something I can speak to. I feel like, you know, a lot of times guys keep that very much in the room. Um, but there was that like divisiveness of, of the style of coaching. I think there were, you know, Jonathan Huberto did an interview um, in, in Montreal in, in French on the radio. And, you know, he was, he kind of spoke about how the relationship just never really was there. And there were guys who were really disappointed about the way that Daryl Sutter handled some young players and handled the media, um, you know, the Jacob Peltier thing when someone asked, like, you know, how was Jacob Peltier in his debut? And Daryl said, what number is he again? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes into the room and tells Jacob, like, that was a great debut. Nice job, kid. It was just like, why did you have to say that to the media? I feel like, you know, having, I, having covered the Flames, having covered Daryl, I almost feel like that was a bit more of a shot at the media for talking about Jacob Peltier all the time. But, like, for... I mean, to take shots at the media is another thing. And then also for Jacob Peltier to hear that he did a good job and then go home and potentially see that on TV or social media, be like, what the heck? So there were just things that didn't seem to go over well, um, you know, and I just kind of defer back to what Don Maloney said, which is, you know, it it had a shelf life. Um, And, you know, they kind of spent the last couple weeks, I guess, you know, doing some more extensive exit meetings, hearing from players, you know, looking at what's the most viable step forward. And I think obviously with the results, what they found was that there there wasn't going to be a way to, to bring Daryl Sutter back for the two-year contract extension that has not even kicked in yet um, and, and have, you know, players be happy and, and the team have success. So Flames got a blank slate. They've got the GM position open. They've got the coaching position open. And, um, you know, I'll be curious to see, it's funny, like they were in a crossroads last year when when Gaudreau left and Matthew Kachuk wanted out, and they picked one path, and now and now they've got to do another. So it's going to be another really interesting off season in Calgary.
Uh, looking around the the league last night, obviously Panthers, but the Seattle Kraken continued to just blow away. Um, mm-hmm. I guess fan bases and, and new fan bases over there. It's their first ever, obviously, uh, playoff series win in round one, and now the second year of the NHL franchise in the second round, and they start this off with a big win last night on the road. How are the Kraken mm-hmm. doing this? And and do we maybe underestimate, underestimate them this season long, or are they just peaking right now and getting everyone's attention? Oh, no, people definitely underestimated the Seattle Kraken. Um, I don't think anybody thought that they were going to make it um, four games. It was, you know, again, back to the Daryl Sutter quote last year, the the abs were such a powerhouse that everybody knew whoever was going to get them in round one, it was going to be, you know, a waste of eight days. That's what Daryl had to say. Um, and I think people looked at the Kraken that way. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think that they were going to necessarily win that series but I recall saying on a podcast like I don't know abs don't look as great like maybe Seattle can do something kind of fun here and then a bunch of abs fans called me an idiot um so I'll toot my own horn on you know being semi-right on that one but I think the Kraken they did such a good job in year two or in the summer after year one of you know continuing to build their roster, filling in the holes and the gaps that they had. I mean, they got Oliver Bjorkstrand for next to nothing. Um, Maddie Beneers comes in and makes an instant impact. Like, there's no way that guy's not winning the Calder. Um, Jaden Schwartz comes back from injury. Brandon Tanev comes back from injury. Like, there were a lot of reasons why year one went as badly as it did. I mean, Jared McCann scores 40 goals. Daniel Sprong scores 20 goals. They had... So much depth this season. I think it was like 13 uh, players had at least 13 goals in Seattle this season. I mean, they have over 15 unique goal scorers in the postseason. They have so much depth. They match up well. They play a really good system. Um, You know, and Philip Grubauer, who was terrible last year, um, is much improved this season. I mean, Martin Jones did well to kind of get them through some tough stretches in the beginning of the season. Uh, now Philip Grubauer has kind of taken over the net. I think, you know, the Kraken are a really good five-on-five team. I think they're they're pretty well coached by Dave Haxtell. Um and, I mean, that was a really fun game last night. I didn't even mention, like, Jordan Eberle. And, and they're doing all this right now without Jared McCann and without Andre Burakovsky. And I think that just continues to speak to the depth of this Kraken team. Like, two of their, you know, best, most skilled forwards are not there. And they have now won five playoff games, mostly without those guys. Um, you know, they're doing it with Jaden Schwartz scoring, Bjorkstrand, Schultz, Eberle. Um, you know, Yanni Gore gets the game winner last night, and he's just like the perfect playoff player. We saw that in Tampa Bay, and he's just continued that with the Kraken. I mean, that guy in the first round looked like he was specifically designed to chase Nathan McKinnon around and make his life difficult. Oh, and by the way, if he gets the puck, he's quick in transition, and he can score himself. Like, that is just a guy that you want on your roster for this time of year. Um, So I definitely think people underestimated the Seattle Kraken. Um, And I think I picked the Dallas Stars to win the Stanley Cup. So, like, I need the Kraken to stop. Um, <laughs> but they, they've been a great story. I've, I'm a big – I've become a Stars believer, though. So every team I picked to win the Cup so far has, you know, gotten knocked out 
and I mean, I say that I picked the Bruins, like, you know, such a galaxy brain pick, picking the Bruins <laughs> for the playoff start to, to win the Stanley Cup. They're knocked out. So, But where are you on the Oilers then? You didn't think they had a, a chance enough to give them the, the Stanley Cup vote? I felt like the Oilers are good. Yeah, McDavid, Dreisaitl, they got two of the best players in the world. I still have questions about their D-line or their D-core. Um, I have questions about their goaltending. I am not somebody, especially this year, who's going to just go with a good goalie and say, oh, yeah, totally. Like, I'm going to sprinkle some money on that because look at who's all gone. Mm-hmm. There's no Igor Shesterkin, no Ilya Sorokin, no Andre Vasilevsky, uh, no Linus Allmark, like no big name goalie, no Connor Hellebuck. They're all gone in round one. They're all individual cases. Different things happened in those series. It wasn't just, hey, that really good expensive goalie was bad. Um, but I, there are things I like Jake Ottinger a lot in Dallas. Um, Joe Pavelski is back. Um, the Dallas stars pushed Calgary to the brink in round one last year. And that was when they were a one line hockey team. Now their young players are older. Um, they have more, more guys who are clicking. They've got Mason Marchment. Um, they've got Miro Haskinen. There are so many guys in the Dallas stars that, probably don't get enough attention nationally or in Canada. Like Rupe Hintz is incredible. We saw Joe Pavelski last night. He wasn't even playing on the line that he usually plays in and he scored four goals. Like mm-hmm. Joe Pavelski is usually with Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz. Uh, but when he went out in round one, they moved Tyler Sagan up there and he started playing really well. So he's playing on line two. Like there is a lot of depth, there's secondary scoring. There's, I just, I really like the Dallas Stars. So it wasn't really like Boo Edmonton. It was just like, yeah, I'm all in on the Stars here. Well, it certainly feels like, you know, one of those anything can happen, uh, why not us series so far um, across the NHL. I mean, we saw that last night and a lot of upsets. So uh, we'll see if those continue, but it's been intriguing so far. And thanks for breaking it down with us a little league wide. Um, Haley, appreciate it. We'll chat soon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. That's Haley Salvin, national hockey writer at The Athletic and host at Sports at 960 The Fan in Calgary for Hockey Central. Big, 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 big week in Calgary. I wonder how they're dealing and covering the Edmonton Oilers run. That all gets started tonight. I wonder if there's any crossover. I I know they're heated rivals. Not Canada's team. So, like, what but if? You, is there like an obligation Ottawa to cover? Senators were, is there an obligation to cover them? Well, a little same bit? question for us. What if Ottawa Senators were in the playoffs and Leafs we, weren't? We'd, we'd definitely be, be talking about it. Would we, would we be, be talking about it as much as we talk about Montreal? Probably not. No, probably not. It'd be a lot of Blue Jays. Probably not. Um, all right, we're going to give away some tickets to Aerosmith now. Coming to Scotiabank Arena on September 12th as part of their Peace Out the Farewell Tour with special guest the Black Crows. Giving away tickets all week long to enter. Just tune into the Fan Morning Show this week. Listen for the daily code word and text it to 59590. Today's code word, dream on. Text dream on to 59590 right now for your chance to win. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. And if you don't win with us this week, be sure to secure your tickets by going to ticketmaster.ca. Oh, yeah, starting this Friday at 10 a.m. Dream on. Aerosmith, September 12th. Best of luck. There you go. After the break, Ed Jovanovsky, former Ooh. Florida Panther. He'll give us the lowdown on everything. We're still like Sparks notes, like add to the Spark notes. Mm-hmm. After one game in round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Ed Jovanovsky on the Fan Morning Show next. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, busy final block on the Fan Morning Show this morning. Justin and Alish back with you. We've got a mini wake and rake to go through. We got picks for the Wells Fargo. Uh, we've got a little something in the NBA. And of course, we got to put together a parlay. But before we do all that, we're going to catch up with Ed Jovanovsky, former NHL defenseman, of course, with the Florida Panthers, was the captain of the franchise, first overall pick in 1994, and now working for, uh, for the Panthers as an analyst. Good morning, Ed. Morning, guys. How you doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Uh, we gotta, you know, we gotta get some state secrets here from you, though, because we weren't really, we didn't really have Florida circled on the calendar for much of the season, sizing up the Tampa Bay Lightning forever, assuming that Boston would be next for the Toronto Maple Leafs if they were able to get through. So we were kind of uh, catching up on things a little bit this week and preparing for this matchup. So you tell us what has been the secret to success for the Florida Panthers, who were kind of just dragging at points throughout the regular season, turned it on late, and then suddenly beat the Boston Bruins and now have a one-game lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs. What has been the key of late for the Florida Panthers? Well, I think you had a you know, valid point, and, and for good reason. It has been you know, somewhat of an inconsistent year for the Florida Panthers this year, especially coming off you know, the President's Trophy last year. Um, you know, they had stretches, but it seemed that this team – um, and and you guys heard it. I mean, when they were in Toronto, the whole uh, you know Keith Kachuk kind of calling out mm-hmm. the team, and then uh, the coach going nuclear on them on the bench during that game, and they found a way to come back and win that game. It seems like from then on, the guys took control of the team. Uh, we're playing, you know, much more, you know, I, I guess engaged and um, more passionate about their play. And um, they were, seemed to be, you know, rolling at the right time. You look what they did to, to get into the playoffs. And then you go into the playoffs, obviously, you know, facing the Boston Bruins. Listen, no one gave them a chance, and, and for good reason, right? I mean, you look what Boston's done this year. They're a very deep team, well-coached team. Um, but you never know. And you look at that series being down 3-1, to one, it was still, you know, the belief from the guys. And they just felt like if they did kind of win one game at a time here that to give them a chance, you know, to see a game seven. And then, um, you know, where does the pressure lie in that situation, right? You know, on the home team. And they just found a way to get it done. You know, I, I, and that's, that's kind of been the story for the last couple months of the season with their backs up against the wall to even get an opportunity to play in the playoffs. And then just winning some big games, some timely goals. Uh, goaltender change came in, played well, and here we go. We're in, uh, getting ready to see game two here in Toronto. In your experience, Ed, how powerful is it when you're a team that believes that they don't have anything to lose? But as you take advantage of that, and now the Florida Panthers have taken advantage of that to a certain degree, when does that run off? Like, when do you start having something to lose? Well, I, I, you know, the situation that the team is in, I, and I, I think for them it's almost in a good spot right now. You're, you're facing Toronto, who is a high-power team. And listen, I think the pressure solely, face it, lies on Toronto again in this series. So Florida almost can have that kind of free bird mentality where they just got through, you know, a series where they weren't given a chance, obviously, and found a way to get through it. And yeah, the confidence is there. So you just beat the you just beat the you know the top team in the league, 
you know, why can't you do it again? But it's still the pressure lies on Toronto. So uh, no one's got to put a show on. You just got to go out there and play. And for this group, let's face it, if you look at last night, their stars came to play. Kachuk had three assists, Montour had another goal, Verhage scored a big goal, Barkov contributed a couple points. The goaltending was excellent. And I think you kind of put all that together, you know, it adds up to good things. And you look at early on in that game, that was the difference to me in that hockey game. You know, killing off those couple penalties, it could have been a different story. The penalty kill has been horrendous mm-hmm. in round one, allowing 11 power play goals. So, you know, the script could have really flipped in that situation. But going to your point, I, I think uh, it's almost, I believe it's a nothing to lose, but a guys believe that they can get it done. Yeah, I think, and you're right about it. I'm sure in your in your history as a as a captain as well, like just having that belief in the in the locker room and maybe a why not us? You look around the bracket and it's not there's no more big Goliaths really. And I think Matthew Kachuk put it well when he came in front of the media and said, "Well, we beat the best team in the NHL. Now we got to play the second best team in the NHL." It's like, why not us? Um, I wonder about Matthew Kachuk, and we've been talking about him all morning, and I'm sure we'll be talking about him all series long. Uh, we're trying to unpack like the type of player he is and how he continues to just dominate um, underlying numbers statistically, but just the way he controls the play. Uh, for you, what is the main reason that Matthew Kachuk will be? and continues to be the story this season and in the playoffs? Well, he just wants to be the guy. And I think when you have that attitude, um, you know, you're just going to get results. And you can see how good he is along the boards, the way he's he's relentless around the net. And, um, you know, he has the confidence to make plays. You look at the first goal, I don't know what Marner was doing in that situation with his stick, but he kind of, you know, beat him and threw it to the net. And then the guys are just, kind of relentless around the net. And I think they've learned that from the first series. It was such a tough area to get into with Boston. They're so good at keeping everyone to the outside. When they finally got to the front of the net, they've had success. And I think for Matthew, this kind of everybody kind of sees his act and everybody, you know, just buys into the way you need to play in the playoffs. The ice shrinks. There's not a lot of room. Star players are keyed on a little bit more. But he always seems to just kind of find that way to kind of get it done. And, you know, for him coming to this situation here in Florida, it was a huge trade. We all know what he did during the regular season. But, you know, let's face it. I mean, guys are judged kind of what happens in the playoffs. And and this team is, um, I think, just finally getting it. And they're playing their their best hockey right now. So it's, uh, it's good to see. But he's definitely the catalyst of that group. Can't talk about players elevating without talking about Brandon Montour and what he's been able to do this season long. And now we've already seen it in game one, a guy that's uh, contributing specifically in the way that he's just be able to put the puck in the net, but uh, a tough to play against as well. I guess the same question lies is how he's been able to elevate and surprise many this season long. Well, I think he's just trying to, un- he's understanding that, um, you know, just his game fully. You know, you go from mid-30s to 75 points. It's kind of a big change. And, and I think for him, just knowing your skill level, the way he manages his ice, because he is playing a lot mid-20s. Uh, you're out on the ice a lot. But it's just his skating, right? His biggest asset, he skates the puck well. He can lug the mail. He gets back quick to make that first pass. And this, this is offensive reads, you know, have been excellent you know, in the offensive zone, if it's not creating an offensive opportunity, being that fourth or fifth guy, 
he's done a good job keeping plays alive along the boards. Um, but yeah, he's, he's that guy that, um, you know, I've said it from kind of the, maybe before the mid season, I thought he was that kind of that top five, top 10, you know, defenseman in the league, just the way watching him every day, just what he does. And I think his confidence at all time high, you know, obviously. And uh, I think the coaches obviously have a lot of trust in him and, when you start believing in your abilities, um, you want to be the difference every night. And um, he's certainly shown that. But there's a bunch of guys, too. I mean, Forsling, the same boat. You know, Aaron Ekblad, a little bit of a slow start to the start of the series. But the last few games versus Boston been really good. was good last night. So I think you need these top guys that eat a lot of minutes, you know, to be your leaders back there. Uh, we are chatting with former NHL defenseman Ed Jovanovsky. Uh, Ed, you mentioned Paul Maurice's impact on recovering the season down the stretch. Uh, now I wonder like, what sort of challenge he possesses to Sheldon Keefe as a tactician, as a playoff tactician. Uh, where does, you know, how can Paul Maurice give the Florida Panthers an advantage in this series? Well, just experience. I, you know, I think for him, he's he's been down this road. You know, he's got a lot of playoff experience. But I, I, I think ultimately, guys, and and you ask coaches, they leave a lot of them. You know, even Paul said it. You know, after the series, you know, the the players take onus of you know the bench. He essentially has the last kind of you know say on what's going on with the lines. But you know, the guy's got to go out there and play. And I think if if he puts them in the right position to succeed, the guys will respond. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. I don't, I don't think, you know, there's there's magic going on in the air. Obviously, being at home, you you get that last change, um, you know, so you can change up things in that area, just like uh, Sheldon can at home in Toronto. Um, but I think he has the guys believing, and he talked about it from day one. He knows this team, their skill level. He wants to get them to a point where they understand, you know, when it comes playoff time, you know, how to play the game the right way. And let's face it, we're seeing it right now. I mean, they are, they are winning board battles that you've seen during the year that they were losing these 50-50 plays. They're finding a way to get it done. And how about the bounce back from the guys? Mm-hmm. You know, every, every time you, you feel like a team is kind of getting that momentum and, and tying the game up or taking the lead, you know, Florida has that resiliency to kind of pop right back and get squared up or like they did yesterday, take the lead. So I, I think that message to the boys has, has really kind of hit home to them. And, you know, they're playing the right way right now and it's working for them. I feel like they ride a lot of confidence um, there in that Florida team. So Maple Leafs headed down there on Sunday. Uh, what's going on with this ticket scandal? Are you going to let any Canadians come down there? Or are you shutting the doors and we got to stay up, up above the border here? I think it was 24 hours, though. Oh, wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. Scare- it sounds like they're scared down there. Well, listen, I, 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 think, um, I, I think down here, um, you know, being the home team, you want to see some red and not so much blue. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I saw that. Like, how, how do you really control that? Yeah. I guess the first 24 hours they do it. But I expect a lot of support from Toronto. Mm-hmm. And that always makes it a much better atmosphere, right, when you got kind of both, you know, sets of fans kind of rocking the building. 
Um, but it'll be fun, but we got game two to worry about first. Yeah, it's going to be a good atmosphere regardless. Uh, Ed, enjoy the series. We appreciate you coming on this morning, and hopefully we can chat again down the road. All right, guys, anytime. Thank you. Uh, that was Ed Jovanovsky, former Panthers captain and the first overall pick in 1994. Shall we get to the wake and rake? We shall. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. All right, well, Fargo this weekend. We're back at our FanX Cup picks. Um, the score is still $1,000 to $0 for yours truly. Looking to add to my bank account. And I'm going to go first with Victor Hovland. It's time, Victor. He fell off last time around. Justin stole him from my grasp. It's the forever struggle. I want Victor Hovland. Who's getting Victor Hovland? Plus 1,800. I know it's uh, not the top pick, but I, I'm i going to just take it off the board early. You can have Rory. You can have whoever, but I want Hovland. I don't want Rory. I want Jordan Spieth plus 2,000. 20 to 1. Jordan Spieth is my first overall pick. Okay. Um, I will then be going with, I mean, I, I guess I should take Rory. Like, I guess the smart move would be to take the guy that needs to have a Bounce back after disappointing miscut at the Masters. Uh, I believe he's got six other top tens here at Wells Fargo. The guy's been MIA. And he's got some break. He had a little bit of rest. It's time to come in here and uh, show up. Have so, him. I'll have take him. Rory. Uh, my second pick from the top tier, my last pick from the top tier, I'll take Colin Morikawa, 22, 22 to 1. Uh, more gut than anything. I admittedly little detached from the golf world the last month. No worries. Okay, so now we go 25 plus. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Ricky Fowler. Wow. He hasn't missed a cut. Ricard. His, yep, hasn't missed a cut in his last 11 starts. Um, and he returns to the site of his first PGA Tour victory in 2012. Oh, you were plus ready. three other top you tens. You were ready with the statistics. I might have done some work, buddy. So okay. let's go. Ricky plus 3,500 here. Uh, give me Jason Day 25 to 1 in the second tier. Go for the final tier. Or the... Uh, the long shots. Okay. Sorry. This is a internet pick. I'll be honest. Keith Mitchell, uh, plus 6,000. Uh, <clears throat> he has just been a, a sleeper pick uh, on the blogs, and I have no other reason but to just say Keith Mitchell plus 6,600. <laughs> I will take another 66 to 1 pick, and wow. that is Keegan Bradley. Uh, he's up there on the FanX Cup, FanX? FedEx Cup standings, mm-hmm. and hopefully he helps me in the FanX Cup standings. Uh, I'll the, take the I just top know he's Canadian, had a decent then. he's had a decent uh, season, so I'll run with him. I'll take Corey Connors then for my Canadian. He's just top um, with I think it's six thousand. Give me Adam Scott, one hundred twenty-five to one. Let's go. Wow, Adam Scott. Okay. Oh, Adam Hadwin. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the what what is with me today? Yeah, you, names. I need yeah, some sleep. Maybe I'm not going to game two because I cannot turn it around. Apparently, I do need to speak about us being at. I've been at all three home losses. I'm like the Toronto Maple Leafs. I can't make the transition from series one to series two. I've been at all three home losses and people are starting to notice. So we'll have to discuss. It bothers you too. Thursday, which yes. is, it should not bother you. Okay. Those are our Fanex Cup picks. I got Hovland, Rory, Ricky, Keith Mitchell, and Corey Connors. Oh, I have Spieth, Morikawa. You got to write them down. Jason Day, Keegan Bradley, and Adam Hadwin. Okay. Best of luck. Um, that tees off tomorrow morning. So we got Jays Red Sox game three. Jays dropped both games at Fenway. Uh, they got they got to turn around. It's this simply put. Um, I would have put them in my wake and rake, but I'm going to go over in the Oilers Golden Knights game one. I feel like this one could be guns blazing for both these teams. You got the, some star power on both sides. It is in Vegas Oilers and 
Vegas look to continue on their pathway. Over six and a half for me will be my pick on the Wake and Rake. Two basketball notes for me, one Wake and Rake, one Futures. Uh, it's finally time to bet the Golden State Warriors to win the title. They dropped game one last night to the LeBron James-led Los Angeles Lakers. Now the price is plus 700 on the Golden State Warriors. I think they're the most proven entity left in the NBA uh, playoffs. So I am in on the Golden State Warriors. Shout out to Ron and Jules. But for tonight, I and will take... And my mother. And your mother. For tonight, I will take the Boston Celtics to bounce back minus nine and a half. Oh, they need to. Uh, Boston, it's part of the reason why I'm betting Golden State. I don't believe in them whatsoever, but Joel Embiid is not playing again. We believe Boston needs to rebound, have rebounded basically every time they have lost a game. I do not believe in them at all, but I believe in them tonight. Boston wins at home to tie the series minus nine and a half. They're going to have to do it comfortably. I believe they will do so. I think we got to become a Golden State Warriors show. Put the bet in. I think it's time. Let's go. We're a warrior show officially after the beam has been dimmed. Dimmed. It's been shut off. The power cord was pulled from the socket. Um, okay, so over six and a half in Oilers, Golden Knights, Celtics minus nine and a half on the spread, or wherever you can find that. It's moved to ten some places, but we'll just lock it in nine and a half. Um, here are submissions. We've got to go kind of quick here. So Ron and Jules got Blue Jays, Red Sox over nine and a half, and Jules taking the over in that. Honestly, Jules and I share a brain over in the Edmonton Vegas game. It's actually kind of strange. Uh, Parlay poppies. Again, slicing the prosciutto thin. He likes the Angels with Otani on the mound against the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that that makes sense. Uh, Mariners minus one and a half versus the A's. Uh, that's Corey and Port Hope. And last one, Don from Paris. Don returns. He's got the Jays to win. He's got the money line. Um, he did lock in the Panthers yesterday. Though. Yes, we got to give him credit for that. We chirped him, I, but yeah, he well, nailed just, his pick. We couldn't pick it, so. No. Appreciate it. Um, okay, so what are you liking from that? We got uh, basketball, a hockey. Should we go in MLB route to round it out? Mariners or the A's? I mean, the A's are... Who's on the mound for the Mariners? Do we have that information? I can, we can get that for you. That Probable pitchers, Google, enter, select. Um, <laughs> one second here. <laughs> Logan <laughs> Gilbert's on the mound. I mean, it's, it is the Oakland Athletics. How many games did the Oakland Ath- Athletics win in April? Like three? Uh, their record currently is 6-24. and 24. I'm very comfortable in assuming that the Seattle Mariners can win that game. Okay, so let me lock that one in there. Um, that's on the run line, I believe. Yes, it is. Minus 105. I mean, we should have been doing that all April. Just yeah, what we run thinking? line against Oakland. Um, I'm actually seeing it at plus money right now. Okay, lock that in. Boom. Okay. Over six and a half in Oilers, Golden Knights, Celtics on the spread against the Sixers. Game two, looking for a bounce back. Mariners on the run line against the Oakland Athletics. Parlay that together. Plus 603. Parlay Poppy is also suggesting that we, when we go for three, which we did yesterday, that we have some sort of punishment. I don't think that's Whoa, a terrible what, idea. What, what does that mean? Did you read the entire? Well, no, we didn't have time to read his entire text. But Eat chocolate covered crickets or something? Something huh? harmless. He says he doesn't want to kill us, but like, yeah, I mean, we should. <laughs> we talked about accountability yesterday. Oh, for three is tough. Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, you know what's tougher than being zero for three though? The first games in these NHL playoffs, like it's really. Uh, we went zero for two yesterday. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable picking a winner tonight because they're both. Base of coin flips. I mean, you've got, yeah, Hurricanes this hosting the Devils. At, that's at 7 p.m. and on Sportsnet, Sportsnet Now. And then you got the Nightcap Oilers and Gold Knights, 9.30 p.m. on Sportsnet West, CBC and Sportsnet Now. So Kind of like the Oilers minus 115, to be honest. Okay. That's Justin's pick of the day. No, I'm a Boston. Boston, minus nine and a half. Well, I mean, other pick. 
free pick. Um, you got the Blue Jays wrapping up their series at Fenway. Um, 7 p.m. on Sportsnet? Or do they, they also play to, tomorrow? No, that's it. They're wrapping it up. Uh, no, they play again tomorrow with a four-game series. Okay, so they look to at least <laughs> get a win here in game three. Um, yeah, that's at 7 p.m. Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet now, Sportsnet 590, the fan is streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590. It's a little getaway day tomorrow. The game's at like 6 p.m. Yes, like, we that's get right. an extra hour? 6.10. Sorry, I forgot about that. Manoa and Nick Pavetta on the mound. Manoa looking to <sighs> shut up that other guy. <laughs> Yeah, Verdugo. Let's, let's hope Verdugo doesn't have a night. Go head to head. Um, all right. Well, that was our Wednesday on the Fan Morning Show. Thanks to everyone for calling in using our little Leafs hotline today. We love hearing from you. We'll do that again after Thursday night's game. Friday, hopefully, will be a feel-good Friday on the Fan Morning Show. We'll be back tomorrow, baby, Friday, to break it all down.